Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans, the sixth chapter, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. If this is the first time that you've visited with us, you can go online, lomachurch.org, and catch up uh, over the, the several months that we've been walking through the book of Romans. And it's been a great opportunity for us to see what the Apostle Paul has to tell us about the gospel of Jesus Christ here from this wonderful book of Romans. Today, I want to speak to you on the subject, Born Again to Win. Born again to win. God has promised life and liberty and victory for every believer. That is your birthright as a Christian. This is God's pledge and promise to each one of us that we are to share in the victory that he has already given to us, that we can know victory in Jesus Christ. We were born, and I guess I should say we have been born again to win. God made you to win as a believer. But unfortunately, many Christians never experience victory that much. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that more and more Christians, more and more church members, experience more defeat rather than victory in their life. So often our defeat comes at our point of sin. We struggle with saying no to temptation. And so when we sin, it causes us to lose in our life. When sin wins in the life of a Christian, we all lose. Today, I believe that Paul gives us three keys that if we will take them, it will unlock for us how we can have the victorious Christian life. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word, Romans chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. This is the word of the Lord, and it says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can it be that we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts and minds. Let us hear a word from you today. We ask these things in Christ's name and all of God's people said, please be seated. So Romans chapter six is one of these difficult chapters to understand. Uh, we are going, I'm, I'm going to try to, to illustrate as best as I can to help us to understand 
what it is that Paul is telling us here in Romans chapter 6 because what we find in these first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6 really unlock the key for us to understand Romans 6, 7, and 8. We must get our mind around what he's saying in the first 14 verses in order for us to understand what he's telling us in Romans 6 and Romans 7 and Romans 8. So number one, what Paul tells us, how do we have victory? Number one, he says you have to know your victory. Paul begins with a rhetorical question in verse 1. He says, well then, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Remember what he said earlier at the end of chapter 5. He said that as sin has grown, grace abounded even more. Last week we said if we could take all the sin of the world and we could quantify it, and somehow we could come up with the number 100 and say sin equals 100, then what Paul tells us in the last verse of chapter 5 is that if sin equals 100, then the grace of God equals 1 billion. For, for every one sin that man commits, the grace of God abounds even more than that. That's great news for us. Now, this raises a question, though. If, if, if when we sin, it, it makes the grace of God abound even more, then it would stand to reason that the more I sin, it would cause the grace of God to abound even more. Paul confronts this question that I believe Christians still face today. And it, it, to, to rephrase what Paul is saying in verse 1, he, he, he's saying it like this. Well, since I'm saved, can I not live however I want to live? I mean, I'm already forgiven. I've already been saved, I've already been forgiven, so why don't I just live it up? Paul says that's flawed thinking. That's a defeatist mindset. He says you can't live that way and experience victory in your life because sin, even when it's covered with grace, sin is defeat. Paul says if you're a Christian, if you're a real Christian, not just by name, not, not just because you go to church, not, not because you strive for morality or, or because your parents made you do these things. No, that's not Christianity. That's religion. That, that's attempting to work your way into salvation. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship, a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. That's a real Christian. So Paul said that there are certain things that we must know. He said, verse 3, do you not know? You see that word there? That's one of the verbs that we find in these 14 verses. That, that's a very strong verb. That, that tastes, he's, he's highlighting this. He said, there are certain things that you need to know as a follower of Christ. If you want to experience victory, you must know these things. Many Christians do not experience victory and liberty in their lives because they don't know the truth of God's word. And in particular, the, 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 the truth that Paul is pointing here in Romans 6, he says that, that Christians must know in order to have victory in life, he's talking about the shared life with Christ. The, the, the one truth that, that tells us and it screams from Scripture that if you want to have victory over sin, if you want to have victory on your life, yes, we must know the Word of God, but in particular, Paul says that we are to know the shared life with Christ. He says, don't you know that just as Christ died on the cross, you also died with him. And just as Christ was buried on the third day, rose again. So you, believer, you were buried with Christ. Your past was put in the grave. 
just as we said last week, it doesn't make sense, but, but we can't just blame Adam and Eve for our sin. No, Paul tells us in chapter 5 that we were in Adam when he committed that sin. That gives us indigestion to think about it. Man, I don't want to think like that. I, I was in Adam when, I, when, when he sinned, so that means I sinned with Adam. That's the bad news. But we turn the page, we come to the next chapter, and Paul says that even though we were in Adam when he sinned, we were in Christ when he died and rose again. It's the shared life of Christ. We were with him. Paul is telling us that we, look, look at it, verse 4. Don't take my word for it, take the word of the Lord. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism unto death. This is not talking about water baptism. It can be, but this is talking about uh, being buried with him in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We share in his death, but we also share in his resurrection. Christ is alive in us. Paul says it's imperative that we know this. Now this raises a monumental question. The question of the text, Romans chapter 6, as a Christian, if I was with Christ in his death and his resurrection, and he now lives in me, if the text is true, and we believe that the text is true, amen, this is the inerrant, infallible word of God, this is not some word of man, this is the word of God breathed out by God. If you want to know what God is saying and speaking to your life, you read his word and he speaks to us from his word. This is the word of God. So we know it's true. It's, it's inerrant. That means it's without error. It's infallible, which means it's without fault. It's inspired, which means it's breathed out by God. It's his literal word. So, so we come to the text and, 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 and Paul tells us that, that verse 6, we are no longer slaves to sin. Here's the question then why do I continue to struggle with sin as a believer and follower of Jesus? If, if the old man, beginning in verse 6, if the old man, the, the, the flesh, the sinful nature is dead, why then do I continue to succumb and fall to sin? The answer is because we choose often death over life. How foolish. Let, let me illustrate for you. This is why we have the TV on the, the set this morning on the, in the pulpit. I want to teach you something that we have to understand. I, I am a visual learner. I, I learn by, by seeing things. And so I, I'm about to make some of you covet by my beautiful drawings. But So as we think about the old man, you're jealous, aren't you? Sitting in church, I tell you what. So as we think about the old man, the, the old man is the flesh. It, it's, the, it's, it's the nastiness of who we were. And as we think about humanity, humanity throughout time has seen some really terrible people, some bad tyrants, so, so, some, some men and women who... Uh, you know, they, they did terrible, terrible, terrible things. I, I think that in 
for us in, in this season of life, I would say that we could corporately say that, that there is one person that, that at least in, in the, the most recent past was quite possibly the worst human being who ever lived. His name was Adolf Hitler. So let's draw Adolf Hitler. Hitler, Hitler in World War II, at the end of World War II, Hitler died, right? I, I mean, there are a few conspiracy theorists that believe that Adolf Hitler is hanging out with Elvis Presley singing uh, Blue Suede Shoes, but we know that Elvis Presley lives in Las Vegas. Hitler is dead, right? Hitler is no longer alive. So Hitler is dead. He wouldn't be smiling. Hitler is dead. Now, this is not a debate. Hitler is, is dead. His, his, his body is no longer functioning. His soul and his spirit have separated from his body. Hitler is dead. Terrible, evil human being. Atrocities, 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 killing so many, so many of God's chosen people. Terrible man. Now, Today, did you realize that there are still people who follow the teachings of Hitler? Neo-Nazis, skinheads, all, all, all these guys that, that are living today, and they're following the views of someone who's dead. So you see, we can understand that, right? That, that makes sense to us. The, the point that I'm illustrating is that when you as a believer in Christ, came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, that the flesh, the old man died. He is dead. D-E-A-D, dead. Crucified. You crucified that old flesh on the cross of Christ. The old man is dead. He's not alive. The, the flesh is no longer alive. All things, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new believer in Jesus Christ. You are happy. You are a new creation. Your spirit is alive. So now why is it, why is it that as a new believer in Jesus Christ that I continue to fall into sin? And in particular, why is it that I often still struggle with the sins that I struggled with before I came to know Christ? If I struggle with alcoholism, why is it that when I come to know Christ, I, I still struggle at times with alcoholism? Why is it that before I came to know with Christ, I, I, I struggle with lying and gossiping. Why is it that I continue to struggle with those same sins? The reason why is because you as a new believer are still being influenced by that old man. The old man is dead, yes. But the old man, just as Hitler still has influence today in people's lives, your old flesh still has influence on your life. Does that make sense? It's not that the old man comes back to life. That's not possible. He's been crucified. You've been made new. But what we often struggle with, th th this is important. We have to understand this in order to understand Romans 6 and 7 and 8. That, that the constant struggle of life is to know that we have victory, not defeat. And how foolish, 
How foolish, when we think about sin this way, how foolish is it that when we are tempted to sin, we are being influenced by this guy who is dead, dying, and rotten. See, this is the point of sin. And this is why Paul says sin does not have any dominion over you. Know your victory. Know that sin has been defeated at the cross. Number two, not only should we know our victory, but number two, we should receive our victory. Look at verse 11. Romans chapter six and verse 11. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The King James says, reckon yourselves as dead. The ESV says, consider yourselves dead. This word consider, this word reckon, it's an accounting term. It means a definite. Consider it as fact. Not consider in the sense to think about it like I'm considering something, but consider in the sense that it's a done deal. Case closed. Christian, he says, consider yourself, reckon yourself. It's a done deal. You are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Your dead man, your old man is dead and you are now alive in Christ. You say, well, what's the difference in knowing my victory and receiving my victory? You can have knowledge all day long, but until you, but, but if all you have is knowledge, then you're not fully participating. I don't know if you know Vic Incinelli, a, a godly man who uh, is a member of our church, has trained countless young men in the scripture and, and also in baseball. And I, I don't know much about baseball. I played football growing up. But if I wanted to learn how to throw a different type of pitch in baseball, I could go to Vic and say, Vic, I, I want you to show me how to throw a fastball or a curveball or a slider. And you know, it, it all depends on where you hold and where you put your fingers on those laces and, and where your release point is with, with your arm. And he could show me, he could teach me, he could demonstrate, he could show me where my fingers are and, and all these different pitches. But if all I am receiving is the knowledge of something, I'm lacking the experience. If all I am doing is being shown and I'm receiving the knowledge, but I'm not participating in it, I'm not practicing in it, I'm not living it, then what do I have? I've got a bunch of knowledge, but I've not received it. You have a college degree. You go to college and you get knowledge to, 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 to get this job, but when you get hired following graduation... You get hired at a firm or at a place of, 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 of business. Do you start at the, the top of the totem pole or the bottom of the totem pole? That wasn't a rhetorical question. You start at the top of the totem pole or at the bottom of the totem pole? The bottom. Why? I mean, you, you, you just gained all this knowledge from school. You've got all this knowledge. Why are you not starting at the top? Because you may have all the knowledge in the world, but you have no experience. You, you see, there's a difference between knowing something and receiving something. The only way to have victory in life is to appropriate this truth, to consider it, to, to reckon it, to, to appropriate it, live in this truth, accept it, walk in this truth, experience it. And what God has said is that you have authority over all the works of the enemy. You do not have to live in subjugation to the devil. 
You don't have to live defeated in Jesus Christ. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus who loved you. Act on that truth. Reckon it to be true. Consider it to be true. And when temptation comes and the devil will tempt you, when, when the devil comes and he, he tempts you to, to go back and, and to live as that old putrid man that we just draw, the first man we drew, he comes and tempts you and says, hey, doesn't that look great? No way. That doesn't look good. But the temptation, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't draw it that way, does he? He tells us of the glamours and, and how good sin is going to feel. But the reality is what he's doing is he's saying, hey, why don't you go back and be influenced by this old dead man? When he comes to tempt you, you can say, devil, I don't have to do that. I, I don't live that way anymore. I'm a new person in Jesus Christ. Jesus is living in me. And greater is he that is within me than he who is in the world. Christian, listen to me. The devil has no authority over your life except that what you give him. He has no access. He has no power in your life. He has access, but no authority. He has access, but no authority. No business being there because if you're in Christ Jesus, Christ is in you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise up against you in judgment, he shall condemn. Live in that truth. Live in that truth. Don't just know it. Step out in faith and live it. We know the truth. We, we, we receive the victory. Then number three, we live the victory. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments. You see that word instruments there. If you write in your Bible, I want you to write this word weapon. That's what that word literally means, weapon. Do not present your members to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as weapons for righteousness. You are a weapon. When you are sinning and living in sin, you are a weapon for unrighteousness. Satan is using you as a weapon, as a tool for the sake of unrighteousness. That's what Paul's saying. As a believer, when you are living in sin, Satan is using you as a weapon. Think about it. Think about it. You understand that, that pastors are no different than anyone else. We are human. You, 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 you say something hurtful to us, it, it, it hurts our heart. You, you punch us in the face, it, it hurts. You, you make us laugh, we laugh. We're, we're human beings. But don't you find it interesting that when a pastor falls, it's published all over the newspaper? You see, the more authority that God gives you, the greater the potential of the downfall. I believe that being a pastor is the highest calling anyone could be called to. Truly a weapon in the hand of God when we are used in the appropriate way. 
But when we succumb to sin, and there are certain sins that I believe a pastor commits, it voids his ability to be a pastor. When he sins that way, he is no longer being a weapon in the hand of God. He's now being a weapon for unrighteousness. And oh, how it infiltrates through the body of Christ. Paul's telling us that as Christians, when when we sin, we're, we're being used as a weapon for the evil one. Think about it. If you're a Christian, a a child of God, Satan cannot have your soul anymore. You've moved from death to life. Remember the illustration, we were once dead, but he's made us alive. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. He can't have your heart. He can't have your heart, but he can try to steal your testimony. And the greater the threat you are to the enemy, the greater the warfare you will experience. The greater the threat, the greater the attack. The greater the threat you are, the greater the attack you're going to experience. Christian Satan is attacking. You know why he's attacking you? Because he's threatened. Not by you. Take yourself out of the situation. It's not about you, but it's about the God that you serve. He doesn't like you. And, And the closer you get to God... And and the more you give of yourself to him, the greater the threat you are to him. And the greater the attacks that are going to come. As a side note, I know some of you right now are going through hell, literal hell. Storms are raging in your life, and it seems as if every moment you're going from one battle to the next, to the next, to the next. and, And once you finish one fight, it's like you're thrown right into another battle. And you're getting weary. Weary of the fight, I'm here to tell you today, do not give up. The bigger the assault, the bigger the attack, all it does is to show greater the purpose, greater is your purpose, and ultimately, the greater your victory will be. When your enemy knows you have a destiny, when your enemy knows you have, he, that you have a destiny, he will attack you every way possible to prevent you from walking into that which God has for you. He can't have your soul. Oh, but he'll try to steal your testimony, to kill your witness, to destroy your influence. You see, the Bible tells us the enemy comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. And when he attacks, he does so with escalation, with variance in his attack. When you feel like you're jumping from the pan into the fryer, we see this model with the crucifixion of Jesus. It all began with verbal insults. You think you are the son of God. It it then escalated from from verbal insults and became physical. The beating, the, the pulling out of his beard, the spitting on him. Then it escalated even further to the crucifixion. Do you see it? The, the attack that Satan brought upon Jesus, it comes oftentimes in escalation. Same thing happened with Job. Job first lost his livestock, then he lost his servants, then he lost his kids, then he lost his wife. You see the escalation. The attacks escalate. It often seems as if it's getting worse before it gets better. But in these times of testing, Dear friend, hear me, do not succumb to sin. Don't give up. Don't give in to sin. Don't give in to doubt. Keep your eyes fixated on our Father who is in heaven. 
And he will use you. When you do that, he will use you as a weapon. These are not my words. This is what Paul is saying. God will use your members. Again, verses 11 through 14. When you stay focused upon him and you allow yourself to be a weapon for the sake of righteousness, Paul says God will use your members. He will use your tongue. He will use your experiences. He will use your mind, your feet, your finances, your gifts to use your members as weapons for righteousness. Understand that if it got to you, it had to come through his fingers first. The second greatest thing in the Christian life that you will ever hear is that God is sovereign. The greatest truth you will ever hear is the gospel, that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and he rose again on the third day, that he will transfer you from death unto life. The second greatest thing that you will ever hear is that what you are experiencing right now, God has either allowed it or he's causing it. You say, well, I, I, I don't really enjoy the things I'm going through right now, Pastor. Listen again. God allows things to come into your life. Sometimes he causes uh, trials to come into your life. And everything you are experiencing, he has already given the okay for you to go through it. That's a good thing. You, you, you see, that's the greatest news we could hear apart from the gospel. That whether you're going through something good or you're going through something bad, whether you're going through something pretty or you're going through something ugly, whether you're going through a, a season of sunlight or you're going through a season of a storm, if it got to you, it passed through his fingers first, both good and bad. That's why Paul says, I praise him in the storm. That's why we sing, we praise him on the mountains, we praise him in the valleys. Because we know that no matter what comes our way, God is sovereign and he it, it passed through his fingers first. Christian, listen to me. Please, right now, go, go to the vocabulary section in your brain. Roll through the Rolodex. You got your vocabulary section. You got it? Okay, I want you to delete these words from your Rolodex vocabulary. The word luck. The word fate the word chance. These words don't jive with scripture. Luck is a false God. There's no such thing as luck. Those three Hebrew boys that were thrown into the furnace full of fire, they weren't delivered from the fire. They were delivered through the fire. In the mountains, keep your eyes on him. In the fire, keep your eyes on him. We don't know what God's going to do and how he's going to bring deliverance. But we know that in all things, God works together for the good to those who love him. Don't you see it? God's allowing you right now to go through some things. Because it's forming you, because it's fashioning you into a greater weapon that he's going to be able to use against the enemy. Don't you see it? Can't you see it? So present yourself as a clean vessel, as a washed vessel, Yes, we will make a mistake. Every one of us, we will be alive in the new life, and we will always 
we will always at some point in our life fall and stumble and sin. And we will go back to this old man. We will go back to this old flesh. The Bible tells us if, if any man says he has not sinned, he lies and the truth is not in him. We all will sin, but that does not give us a license to sin. This is Paul's point. Just because we know we will fall doesn't give us the license to fall. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we sin so that grace may abound even more? No, no, no. Have you listened to the sermon? No. The point Paul's point is the reason why we don't do that is because how foolish is it that we are now alive in Jesus and when we sin, we come over and we are this dead, putrid man. Yes, you can fall into sin, but as a Christian, we do not habitually practice sin. Why? Look at verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. That word dominion, if, again, if you're writing your Bible, write the word Lord. In the Greek, it's the word kurios. It's the same word that every time Jesus is called Lord in the Gospels, it's the same word, kurios. It means Lord. He literally says, sin is not your Lord anymore. Paul is telling us that sin is no longer our Lord. Sin is no longer our master. As a Christian, your Lord has been transferred from Satan to the Savior, from the law to grace. This tells us that we have victory over sin, but we have to guard ourselves, daily guarding our hearts because the devil wants nothing more than to cause us to live in defeat and not in victory. So let's get practical for the few moments that we have left. How do I live then? How do I live in this victory? How do I do this? Well, number one, go back to the cross daily. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, he said, I die daily. Go to the cross daily. What, what do I mean by that? We, we, we throw this term around a lot, and I'm, I'm not sure that we fully understand what it means. I'm not suggesting that we crucify Jesus daily. No, 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 no. The book of Hebrews tells us that one sacrifice of Jesus was enough. Instead, what it means when we say to be crucified, go back to the cross daily, it means that we go back to the point that the blood was shed. You and I go back to the cross. We go back to the point where our sin was nailed to that cross. We, we remind ourselves daily of the great cost of our forgiveness. Before you can have victory, you must experience defeat. In order to have a resurrection, you've got to have a crucifixion. Examine your heart. That's not easy, is it? To, to, to look in your own heart and say, God, open up my chest and, and, and show me where I have sinned. Take your heart to the cross. Examine your life with the life of Christ. And all of a sudden, where we are missing will come to light. That's what it means when we say go back to the cross daily to examine our heart. Sin that we've fallen into. Maybe you've completely fallen away. Sin has ensnared you to the point that we call, we, we call Christians who, who live in habitual sin, we say that you're a backslider. You're a believer, but you're living like the world. You need to do a self-examination. Return to the cross. Repent of that sin, confessing it and dealing with it. Break the cycle of yielding to temptation. 
It's not in your power. It's not about you. But in the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, the power of Christ. Quit allowing that old man to influence the new man. The old man has no power. He is dead. Stop giving him authority. Jesus is our authority. He is our Lord. Not that old dead flesh. Take as long as you need. Fall upon your knees. Cry out to him. Don't get up until you've done business with God. Take these things to the cross. Number two, worship God continually. Daily worship. Constant worship. You know, worship is not just singing. Not all singing is worship. And not all worship is singing. Now, you can truly worship God through singing. But not singing is not just worship. What, what is worship? Worship is simply ascribing worth to something or someone. We all worship something or someone. It's that which we ascribe worth to. What is it that we put above everything else? My favorite baseball player of all time was Del Murphy. I am flabbergasted when I talk to students. They have no idea who Del Murphy was. Some of you don't even know who Del Murphy is. If you know who, if you know who Del Murphy is, will you raise your hand? Thank you, uh, about 10 of you do, okay. So his rookie card is worth like three bucks. But at my mom's house, I have all these baseball cards from when I was a boy. The first page in a plastic, I, I spent more on this plastic container to put his rookie card in than the card is even worth. But I put worth to that. I, I, you see what I'm saying? I, of all the cards, this one I ascribe worth to. I have a Daryl Strawberry rookie. I, I've got a Walter Payton rookie. I've got all these other rookie cards that are worth so much more money. But the one that I ascribe worth to was the one that, no, I wish I had a Babe Ruth rookie. <laughs> I'd tell you what, it wouldn't, be in, it wouldn't be in my mama's house right now. But we all worship. Every time in Scripture when God's people begin to worship anything but God, they experience defeat. Have you ever noticed that? Just because you worship God doesn't mean that you'll always experience victory. Just because you worship God doesn't mean you'll always experience victory. Don't listen to those TV preachers. Just because you worship God doesn't mean you're always going to live on cloud nine. But it is true that every time you fail to worship God, you will experience defeat every time. Why is worship so important to victory? Because when you truly worship God, it is not possible for you to put yourself on the throne. You are forced to put God on the throne. And when God is on the throne, you will eventually experience victory in your life. Number three, and quickly, live your life faithfully. Find out what it is that God has created you to do and do it. God created you with purpose and meaning. You are not an accident. You are special. He broke the mold when he created you. And he created you to do something that no one else can do. He created you to reach a people. 
that no one else can reach. Live in the life of Christ. Follow him and trust him daily.